0: One, two,
1: three, four. You have to look at yourself as a product. You are a product going to market. Who are you selling to? What can you offer them? So, again, my preferred platform is LinkedIn. If you're going to the market, make, you've got to be strategic. Make a list of the top 100 companies that you want to work for.
0: Welcome back to the Well Now Wood podcast, I'm your host, Savannah. So if you know me, you know that I love LinkedIn. It's the social app that I'm always on. Um, I even prefer it over Instagram sometimes, and I just love scrolling through and seeing what people are up to, what articles they're sharing, and I liked an inspiration on there. And the person that I see quite often is Emily, and Emily Murgatroyd is kind of like the queen of LinkedIn to me. She writes such engaging and real content, and she's in the recruitment world. So seeing her posts are often super relatable and really engaging. Like so many people reply to her comments and I knew from her posts, I was like, this seems like an awesome person to have on my podcast. So this episode is very helpful. Doesn't matter if you're just out of university or you're looking for a job, doesn't matter where you are in your career. The tips that she gives are applicable for everyone. In the episode, we talk about how to use LinkedIn and how to make meaningful connections, especially that we're all locked up and everyone's working from home. The only form of connection is really online. So how to properly use LinkedIn, the top three mistakes candidates make when applying to jobs, how to stand out against thousands of different resumes, owning your weaknesses. And Emily answers the question if employers actually look at all your social profiles. This is, was a really awesome episode, so I hope you enjoy I'm here with Emmeline Murgatroyd. She's the founding partner at Ivy Group. Ivy was found by a group of inspired women who wanted to provide an upgrade to a dusty aging industry by providing progressive professional search solutions. They celebrate the diversity of talent that presents outside of their usual networks. Emily has been in the search for over a decade, having come directly from industry working in sales, marketing, and corporate development positions. As many of us are either new grads or looking for a change of careers or recently let go because of COVID, the well now what moment is real. 2020 has changed everything and finding a job in normal circumstances can be extremely difficult and demotivating. I thought Emily would be the perfect guest to offer a genuine perspective on the recruitment industry. Connection lives deep in her DNA and she's on the mission to bring more trust and transparency to the world of recruitment. So Emily, you've been in the industry for a long time. How did you get started?
1: Oh, great question. Like most people who get into recruiting, I sort of got into it by accident later in life. It's it's one of those things that I never heard about in school growing up or at university was never presented as an option. Um, but you know, if you love developing relationships and helping people and connecting people, it's a really great path. I came to a crossroads in my life where I was in um, more sort of on the marketing and event planning side and circumstances, I was trying to actually build another company with a set of partners that didn't work out. And I was kind of left thinking like, well, what am I going to do now? What now? So I um, did some thinking just around what I really like to do day to day, which I think is so important when you're thinking about what you want to do with your life and what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy. And I realized I really love connecting people, and uh, and wow, there's a career where you can do that for a living and get paid for it. So I ended up speaking to an entrepreneur who was putting together an agency at the time. And he took a gamble on me, brought me on board. And since then, I've been recruiting for close to a decade now and loving every minute of it.
0: Yeah, that's great. And what are some of the bigger differences on the recruitment industry when you had started to now?
1: Well, the technology has really evolved. So, you know, where uh, the industry started and really it was a sort of post-war job boom environment where search first started and we didn't have any technology. I mean, I wasn't alive then too, but you know, people had to go out and network with people face to face. You actually had to, um, you know, get out from behind your desk to develop relationships. With uh, technology, a few things have advanced, uh, the, the, the depth of which we can search now because most people live online. So that really speeds up the process of being able to get to talent quite quickly. And also um, the process of developing relationships, which does not have to happen in person anymore. And I think we've really seen that during COVID, right? I mean, I've been remote for a decade. I've been working from home, doing a lot of things uh, over my computer. But I think, you know, and, and if you have two, then you would recognize that, but the rest of the world is really catching up now, having been forced to work from home and not being able to create these personal interactions and so you're kind of forced by design to develop relationships online, which does have some drawbacks, but it also has some some splendid benefits um, you know and and through uh, LinkedIn, which is my preferred platform uh, and through Twitter and other ways that we can interact certainly the speed uh, to which we can connect and the depth of relationship that has evolved um, from when recruiting first started.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of LinkedIn, I actually found you on LinkedIn and your posts kept coming up on my feed. They were really honest and real. And I think I really like the one that you said that you pledged not to use LinkedIn to add someone and then to pitch them a sales deal as soon as they um, like accepted it. Oh my um, God.
1: You know, like, <laughs> I literally, I got a connection request yesterday. I hadn't actually gotten one in a while. Um, And I got one yesterday and it met all my criteria. You know, we had over a hundred people in common, looked very interesting. The minute I connected with them, they pitched me and I just thought, you know what, you have to get to know me. This is the the, it's a brilliant platform because you can get to know me and I can get to know you and we can take our time. And just because we're online, it doesn't mean that we can expedite the process of getting to know each other. So even though I said before it's easier that the connection Mm -hmm. being quicker, you can't gloss over, you know, what a natural evolution of a relationship would be. So I was so tempted to remove that connection. I didn't. Um, but I would, I really, really advise against it. I think it's uh, an abuse of the platform and I think it turns people off.
0: Yeah. Like you said that it's like, a, um, a vegetable plant, like you need to prepare the soil and nurture it and everything. So like how important is, is LinkedIn for your recruiting? And you said that you had a criteria for accepting people. What is that criteria?
1: I mean, it's very, I mean, it's, it's a pretty superficial criteria because, you know, I could accept a request from someone I don't know simply on the strength of their profile. I think they look interesting, but if, you know, if I'm going to go by some hard and fast rules, cause a lot of people are skeptical, skeptical rather connecting with people they don't know. So, you know, who do we have in common? who like what is the quality of our connections that we have in common you know so that would that's definitely a, a criteria again if they if they have the if they're bringing something to my network that i don't have you know i try to sniff out if i think i'm being pitched to even obviously it doesn't always work. So strength of profile, how many connections we have in common. I don't require an explanation for connection, but I know some people do and I respect that. So certainly, you know, for some people, I think a thoughtful introduction around why someone's motivated to connect with you. um, Those are some good filters. uh, If you're, if you're, you know, kind of wondering, should I connect with this person or not?
0: Yeah. So you, would you say it's quality over quantity when it comes to connections?
1: Yes, I think it's quality. I think, um, you know, quantity, truthfully, you know, you are, I do think that, look, you, you know, and I've written about this about a month ago, the thing about building networks is often we do it through people we know. If we are limiting ourselves, I mean, this is kind of the dichotomy of we're limiting ourselves to people we know or people we know who we know we're going to look, we're going to, our networks are going to look a lot like us, right? Which is a problem these days because, you know, it's a, it's a motivation and a mandate to be more diverse in what we're doing. And so, you know, I am, I am, I am open to connecting to people with people I don't know who may even share no contacts in common based on, okay, this person looks really interesting. I don't have a lot of connections in this sector or this area. It's only going to benefit me by getting to know people who I don't know. So I do agree I do agree that quality is important, but I think quantity helps you to open up yourself to areas that you wouldn't naturally be connected to by definition of how you grew up or who you associate with through work or your friendships or you know do you know what I'm getting at
0: yeah totally totally yeah and um I was wondering what kind of companies do you hire for and then on the other side what type of level of candidates like is it entry level associate senior all of them
1: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty diverse. We're pretty diverse in the types of companies we service. Um, you know, between the three partners, we do everything from technology to consumer goods to digital marketing to manufacturing to financial services. Me in particular, I'm quite drawn to technology. I love the pace and the high growth of it. So I do seem to be uh, attracting a lot of clients who are in technology. Um, I do. I have recruited in the past most levels. I would say probably I'm at the the manager and above level, so manager, um, director, vice president. uh, Those tend to make up the bulk of my assignments. But at the same time, you know, we have what we call our strategic contributors or our shining stars, and those are the more uh, junior positions that have the potential to um, you know, rise up and elevate themselves through a company. And, and that, you know, when you're working with technology startups, which I also tend to do, you're looking for these people who you can kind of mentor and train up through the ranks. And I do I have a personal fondness for working with young talent and helping to unlock their potential, because it's very exciting to see someone kind of come into their own and step into a career path. I, I really like to be a part of the beginning of that. So if I can, um, I will try to fill um, some more junior positions, even if they're not really the bulk of what I do.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. And obviously, it differs for every company and role. But what kind of skills do companies search for, especially when hiring like those entry junior roles?
1: You know, I would say this: if you're positioning yourself as a junior or entry, you know, there is it t- it can be skills based because you don't necessarily have the life experience of, of working in a career, but you know, what I try to do with my clients is get away from the skills mindset and really focus on the achievement and accomplishment mindset. And, the, and so then with a more junior uh, candidate or talent, it would be the potential of that person. And I think if you're looking for a position in this marketplace and you're you're new to the, the career search and you're a ju- more junior in your career, you know, look at some of the accomplishments that you might've had in school, or if you didn't do, you know, post-secondary, did you take a year off and go traveling? And did you have to work while you were traveling? Or did you set up a small landscaping business? Or, you know, really, I, I encourage people to look at what people have achieved and accomplished versus a prescriptive set of skills because I'm so Diverse in the companies that I recruit for, it's hard to come up with a list of of skills for you that people hunt on. But if I'm flipping that and reading that as like, hey, what should your listeners as new entrants to the job marketplace focus on? If you don't have the specific skills that are listed in the job description, you know, surface some of your own achievements and accomplishments. You've had them even through high school. Maybe you started a club, maybe you were on a committee. Uh, those things are all important when you're assessing someone's potential.
0: Yeah. And I've seen so many companies probably get thrown like a millions of resumes and for most candidates. So, and some of them just don't have a chance because they don't fit the mold on the paper, as we've said. So how can you show that you're more just than just in like that one piece of paper?
1: Right. And so, I mean, honestly, it is applying, having a job, it really, you gotta, I think you got to tie it back to like, what's my job search strategy. Okay. And so If you are only relying on sending resumes to job postings, you are going to you are entering yourself into a lottery and you may be the best candidate for that role or you may be misaligned in terms of like on a very surface superficial level your skills don't appear to be a fit and there are lots of criteria working against you the, the company could have been flooded with hundreds of applications so they never even get to you your skills don't fit the mold so they've got to, you know if they've got hundreds of applicants they're literally making a very superficial decision to do the first pass of what they get in so you cannot rely on job on, on applying to job postings as your strategy. What I am a huge fan of is really, and I'm, I'm working on either an article or a video on it because I get asked this so much. You have to look at yourself as a product. You are a product going to the market. Who are you selling to? What can you offer them? So again, my preferred platform is LinkedIn. If you're going to the market, make, you've got to be strategic, make a list of the top hundred companies that you want to work for figure out what department you're going to, what you want to work in, be very clear in what you have to offer. Okay. I know I'm amazing at social media. I ran a social media club at university, or, you know, I know I'm great in, um, policy and development, because I ran for student council, make a list of those companies and then make a list of the people at those companies and then connect with them in LinkedIn or follow them and start to engage with them because you have to be seen. You have to rise above the hundreds of applicants that all they're doing is sending a paper email and start to get your name recognized. I saw someone the other day, young fella who had sent in a video email to the person who was on the who had you know put their hand up as, as you know, if you're interested in the role, send me a resume. He sent that person a video and and the person like got back to him, right? So you've got to figure out in a world where everyone's being bombarded with messages and marketing, consider yourself a product. Don't consider yourself, okay, I'm, I'm just going to like apply for jobs and hope that one sticks and figure out how you can be different and how you can make yourself more visible in a really crowded marketplace. And it's not rocket science. It just takes work. And again, we, we go back to this developing relationships with people, right? And it's so you can't expedite, okay, I've, yay, I got the hiring manager of Lululemon to connect with me. I'm so excited. You can't rush then to the past, right? You want to start getting to know that person and, and, you know, engaging in their content and giving them a reason to notice you. And I tell you, because I post frequently and I have a high level of engagement, there are people who keep coming back and I recognize their names and that, you know, that speaks, that speaks to, um, you know, that means something.
0: Yeah, it's really great advice. And I find with my generation, we want things so quickly, like we want it to happen. And it's just like waiting and being patient. Like, as you said, like LinkedIn, it's about like developing a relationship. And I think a lot of people my age just want that connection. And like, Give me the job, you know?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, look, and I know I'm dating myself here, but like I was alive at school before the, like, like when the internet was invented, we used to have to stand in line at the school library to send emails to each other in DOS. And it was fun. I mean, you know, and I, I'm just as guilty as anyone ordering same day on Amazon, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. wait two days for a light bulb. I want it right now. And I'm not going to go out of my, head. so I think it's a, it's a muscle. That that we have atrophied. We really lost the ability to be patient. And, but I think we all know even in our own personal relationships, even if there's someone who you have everything in common with, if a stranger came up to you off of the street and said, oh my gosh, I want to be your friend so badly. We have this, this, and this in common. Let me give you a hug. You would like run away. And so, you know, you, you've got to remember that that's the kind of, you you, you got to have that in your head when you're connecting with people and doing things online. Right. I think if you maintain that, um, that understanding that you know in, in person these things take time mm-hmm. but you're right I mean you know your generation and and you know I, I'm guilty of it too we want things right away but it doesn't always serve us
0: I just wanted to pop in and to thank this week's sponsor Organica and Organica is a Canadian health and wellness company that's been in the business for over 30 years and I've personally always really loved their products I've recently really been enjoying their effervesce collagen tablets I just drop into my water it dissolves so quickly and it makes my are super refreshing and it's really good for my immune system. So check out all their products at Organica.com. Now back to the interview. And what would you say are kind of the top three mistakes that candidates do when they apply for for jobs, apart from just sending off the resume and not doing anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think the mistake is we're just relying on that. So yeah, we've talked about that. So you you really need to stand out. Um, I know people don't love there's argument around like, should I have a cover letter? Should I not? I really, you know, if someone sends me something and sends me like three points specifically around, this is why I would be suited to the role. And, you know, maybe three great achievements. um, It does speak for something. It kind of raises you up with people who haven't done anything. Um, I think what I see time and time again, when people are interviewed is they don't send a thank you or a follow-up or uh, Hey, I really enjoyed that. And this is why I think uh, I'm a good fit for the role. If you, if you get to interview stage and you like the position, it is paramount to express your interest and, and express your gratitude for, you know, taking the time. Now, when I say gratitude, I don't mean that from the perspective of, yay, somebody, you know, somebody gave you a chance. I think it's more the gratitude of, you know, Thanks for the interaction. Thanks for telling me about the role. I'm really interested. Here are the three reasons I'm more interested now having chatted Mm -hmm. with you. And in fact, I kind of got ahead of myself because uh, another um, mistake I see frequently is not preparing for an interview. And there's no reason for it. I mean, first of all, look up the company online, look at their digital footprint, look them up on Glassdoor, look them up on every social channel you have, look up the people that you are interviewing with. And then You go Google the top and most asked interview questions. And so then you're not, you know, sort of put on the spot when someone says, what's your greatest weakness? And you say, oh, I'm a perfectionist because that's not a real answer, right? You know, so Mm -hmm. take the time to prepare because it really, unfortunately, does make you stand uh, ahead of the rest. It's amazing how many people don't take that time and the answers are all there for you. And there's no... Um, there's no need not to be prepared.
0: Yeah. And speaking about those interview questions, some of them that are like, tell me your greatest weakness, or I had once, if you were an animal, what would you be like, what are you supposed to like answer for those kinds of questions?
1: Yeah. I mean, both I can answer for both meaning because the animal question is really, these are kind of like psychological questions that have less to do with the answer and more to do around the confidence that you have in answering it. So listen, you could answer that question. You don't have to say I'd be a you know a lion because I would dominate. You could say I'd be a hedgehog because you know I think hedgehogs are so versatile. They're cute, but also you know they protect themselves when they um, you know when they're confronted with adversity. You know, and so really, it's the confidence in how you answer that question, and not so much what animal you would be. So mm-hmm. answer it authentically. Answer it with truth. Answer it with confidence. The weakness question. It. I'll tell you right now, I absolutely hate administration. I am not a detailed person. Uh, and, and so like, I'm looking right now, my past two days have been details. Like I have to, I've got this like notebook filled with like little tiny things that I have to do. And it's like cuts. I hate doing it. I'll do it, but it's not my, it's not my strength. It's not why someone would not hire me on my, um, administrative strength. I'm the work like, you know, in order for me to do what I do well, it's important for me to, to enter, you know, complete information into a database. I don't do it. And I own the company, right? I'm a founder Mm -hmm. in the company. So, you know, I would, I would then, if you're, you know, own your strengths and then talk about some of those, some of the things that you're doing to address those weaknesses, right? So, sorry, I think I said strengths and I meant to say weaknesses. So what, what are some of the things I do? I schedule in my calendar, time to look after the admin i reward myself if i can commit to you know checking off five boxes i am training myself to do those things so so be honest with your weaknesses and then discuss how you are addressing to improve those and then you know your strengths on the back of that you know i have strengths in being being able to develop relationships to be able to open doors i am a driver i build things i'm creative So you don't necessarily need me to be super detail oriented if you're hiring me to do um, to do a certain job. So own it, own your weakness um, and then own what you are doing to improve yourself.
0: I love that. Yeah. And how much do companies actually look at the candidates like social profiles or LinkedIn? Do they ever go that far? And what should you have and not have on your social profiles?
1: Everything you do is going to be looked at and whether you agree with it or not, we don't have to get into that philosophical um, discussion, but just know that you are being looked at. So uh, how you want to present yourself to your future employer is um, going to be reflected in your Facebook or your, oh my God, no, see, I'm dating myself like Snapchat. What's the one that everyone dances on? Oh, TikTok. TikTok. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and my kids are too young, thankfully, to do any of that right now. Um, so, I, you know, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. in being playful, funny, expressing yourself in creative, diverse ways at all. I celebrate that. But if you're, if you're a bully, if you're a racist, if you're, you know, saying hurtful things online, that will be discovered and that will impact your chances of... Of finding a career. Um, there are settings where you can lock down your profile. Um, so, you know, I would suggest if you are a nudist and you like to take pictures of that, celebrate that, uh, maybe something you want to keep on your private channel. So, mm-hmm. you know, use your best judgment. Again, I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a good joke. I, I love humor. I love creativity, spontaneity, Uh, None of those things would ever turn me off of a potential candidate. Um, So, you know, just recognize that anything you're doing online that has public settings absolutely will be looked at by your future employer.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if this is just me, but I found that LinkedIn, maybe because it's COVID, it's become more human and more natural. Like I found when I started my profile, it was in university. It was a course that we had to start our own LinkedIn. We had all these steps and you had to remain professional. Like don't really post anything of your own opinions. But now that I'm seeing everyone's being so honest and real. So I guess it is there's a fine line between like oversharing, I guess, but also still being very genuine. And how do you navigate that line?
1: Yeah, I love it. I think that it's interesting my own journey on LinkedIn. I got such low engagement when I was writing like dry articles on like how to find a job or, you know, top 10 tips. And it wasn't until I, Started to post my own personal experiences and vulnerabilities, that I started to get you know a lot of engagement, and it felt pretty good because I was being myself, and you know I wanted to kind of knock down the veneer that you know people are imperfect or just because you reach a certain level you don't have all these like weird insecurities or vulnerabilities, right? And what I thought was so uh, such a uh, positive to come out of COVID is exactly what you say. I mean, we all had to let our coworkers into our bedrooms. You know, we everyone saw our kids in the background, or our dogs, or our cats, or you know, and that humanized us, and I, that can only be a good thing. To know that everyone is human, to be able to connect on a heart level with other human beings. You know, career is a significant portion of your day today, a significant portion of your life. If you have to spend that buttoned up or scared or not being able to be yourself, it's a it's a tough life to live. So that was a gift out of COVID. I think that people felt more um, understanding of each other and more confident in opening up. So, you know, I certainly have opened up a lot more on LinkedIn. Um, I agree. There's a line to oversharing. You know, I I think most people's instincts are bang on. So if you feel that maybe something's an overshare, I would go with that. But on the flip side, it can be scary, right? It can be really scary to put something on a public forum. And then, and then like two hours later, nobody's liked it. Right. And so, that's and that's okay. Right. So mm-hmm. I think you got to maybe get comfortable with a little bit of fear. It's, you know, and it's okay. It really is about, are you speaking from your authentic place? Does it, you know, are you being yourself then that those, you know, the, the, Nobody who looked at it in two weeks, you know, five people look at it and it will, it will roll out as you're being yourself. You will find your audience. You will find those people who gravitate towards you because not everyone's going to like you. And, and I think that's important to remember. You don't, it doesn't, you don't have not ever, you don't have to have everyone like you. It doesn't matter. like life is a basket mm. of different flavors and we're drawn to some. And, you know, some people like bacon and some people don't. <laughs> and, you know, I hate, um, Oh, I don't know. My husband's Scottish. He drinks this crazy drink called the iron brew. It's like bright orange, sweet acid, right? He loves Ooh. it. but I hate it. Right. There's a market. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I was actually wondering, what is your process for finding an ideal candidate? Like, do you have a database? Do you like, do all the recruiters have this pool of people? Like, how does it work?
1: I mean there you employ several tactics. One is probably most recruiters have a professional LinkedIn license. It costs a lot of money and it gives you access to, you know, the entire database. So you use your search criteria which is, you know, you 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 develop your search strategy, you understand what companies you want to hunt from, you understand like what competitors are, what are similarly aligned companies and then you go and you just work your head off in linkedin but also you find people in uh, social channels some technical people don't live on linkedin they live on github um they live uh, you know uh cannabis i did a lot of recruiting in cannabis they live on twitter so you know you mine you mine social you mine linkedin um you would employ a strategy where you would you know everyone has a connector in their network people who just love you know, giving you advice on, oh, you got to talk to so-and-so or, you know, I know the best hairdresser. You've got to go to this place. They've got the best food. You know, they just love making those recommendations, Find those people. You let them know that you're looking. um, So you spread it out through your personal network. So, you know, you're kind of going out to everywhere. You have your own database that you've accumulated after 10 years of of headhunting. So there are a lot of different pools. You, You work with associations. You know, I'll call schools and, you know, call their the head of their marketing program. Um, So you can get very specific in terms of developing relationships with schools or groups or communities um, that organize outside of online.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I just had a last question. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about Ivory Group? I know that you recently started that and for companies when they have like a recruitment team in-house or HR team in-house versus like outsourcing.
1: Yeah. So Ivy was, um, I have two business partners now in Toronto. We have been finally after a year and a half have merged and created this new brand. We're, we're very excited because, you know, we think philosophically executive search, professional search really needs uh, an upgrade in terms of approach, transparency, how we work with clients. Um, And your the second part of that question
0: was, The difference between recruiting, like for companies when they have an HR team in-house versus outsourcing?
1: Yeah. You know what? Truthfully, if you have a great in-house team, um, then you likely don't need us. But, you you know, we have worked with in-house teams before. And if you don't have an in-house team, the thing to remember is that we make it look really easy, right? Oh, here's, you know, we've got a candidate and, you know, or, hey, can you recommend someone? Yeah, I know someone. That's easy is the result of thousands and thousands of hours of work years of work so and this is what we do day in day out right as recruiters you are constantly widening your networks finding out who to talk to developing relationships this is our full-time job and the process of finding even one candidate you can go through looking through thousands of profiles you can receive hundreds of applicants, the time just to develop one candidate through the pipeline, it really is a question of time. Does your company have the time or the resources to do this on their own? And if the answer is yes, you can dedicate someone who's got, you know, a a few hundred hours in front of them, and that could be your in-house talent team, right? I mean, there are multinationals out there who have huge in talent. Uh, in-house talent teams and that's because they recognize that it is a full-time job so that's i guess the long way of answering we have worked with in-house for some sort of tougher to fill roles because that takes even more time Um, but i would say that is probably one of the driving reasons that people would look to an external agency is because they just don't have the time to do it themselves and they don't know you know they haven't been trained on how to look where to look Mm -hmm. you know who who do you reach out to Um, and again we live and breathe that so
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this was super beneficial just for me. Like I I love LinkedIn. I'm recently getting a little bit more into it. So it was great to hear all your tips and advice. Um, Very helpful. So I can't wait to share it with people that are either postgrad or someone just like switching up their careers. I think it's applicable for kind of everyone. So thank you again. Um, This was great chatting with you.
1: Definitely it was great to meet you too Savannah and I think it's amazing that you're doing a podcast it's so cool and uh, I'm happy to have been your guest so thank you so much
0: And that was Emily if you're new to my podcast make sure to subscribe leave a review if you can and follow my Instagram at wellnowwhatpodcast I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you next week